Hello and welcome to another episode of the Wisdom of Friends podcast. Thank Thank you for tuning in. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for coming. This is a podcast where you get to learn more about your friends and community, their wisdom, their trials and tribulations, timeless insights and their secrets. Now, let's get into the show. Please welcome your host, Cal Aras. Hello, uh, folks. Uh, welcome to another season and episode of uh, Wisdom of Friends. I'm your host, Cal Ross. And today I'm really delighted and excited to be introducing you to her peers, who is considered to be one of the most knowledgeable and skilled teachers of Enneagram today. And if you haven't heard of Enneagram, Enneagram is basically a personality study methodology that helps identify nine different personality types or styles, if you will, and how each type experiences the world in a very unique way. Now, having this knowledge is a lifesaver in terms of understanding yourself, understanding the major filter in which others see the world, and learning how to relate to others in ways that are much more effective. In this episode, Herb and I talk about the nine different types, uh, identifying what their strengths are, what their uh, limitations are, and then how to gain the knowledge to relate effectively to each of the nine types. Uh, Herb's teaching style is very entertaining, informative, and crystal clear, as you will learn from this conversation with him. And uh, he has worked with hundreds of individuals and couples to understand and communicate well to all types of people. He's uh, taught well over 2,000 Enneagram workshops, trainings, and presentations to the public and to hundreds of organizations. Having vast experience working as a psychotherapist using the system, uh, Herb Pierce also leads team building trainings in companies, is a public speaker, workshop presenter, and a personal life coach, and, and is author of six books. You can access all this information on his website, which is www.herbpierce.com. It's spelled as H-E-R-B-P-A-R-C.com. And uh, all his contact information is also available in the show notes. So without further ado, let's welcome the one and only Herb Pierce. Hello and uh, welcome to another uh, episode of uh, Wisdom of Friends. And I'm really super delighted, uh, Herb, that you took the time to uh, be on this call. And let me start off by how we got introduced through our mutual friend, John O'Leary, who's also been a guest on the show. Mm-hmm. And he spoke very highly of you. And I had the opportunity to uh, uh, read up on your website and some of the work you've done over the last uh, many, many years. And and I have been so excited and looking forward to a conversation. So welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. I look forward to talking with you. Excellent, Herb. Uh, one of the ways we kick off our show is by asking a guest a simple yet profound question, and that is, what is your favorite quotation or philosophy that you live by, and how have you applied it to your life? Well, you know, I'd, I'd say my favorite philosophy is is trying to create peace in the world. I mean, in, in the system that I teach, I'm a, a peacemaker. It makes sense. You know, a lot of the quotes, uh, there was a, 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 an organization called the Peace Abbey in the Boston area. It's no longer in existence, but it's it was based on vegetarianism. And they had this site where they had about 75 quotes from famous uh, people that have created peace in the world. And I don't remember all the quotes, but I every year I would go as a ritual and read every single one of them for many, many years. It was in, in a beautiful metal, concrete, kind of beautiful thing. And I feel like my whole life is designed to create harmony in the world. That is, uh, that's really beautiful. And, uh, you know, one of my first books when I, I, I wrote uh, almost uh, five years ago was called The Seven Symphonies of Extraordinary Love, a blueprint for world peace. And peace is something that I'm really uh, passionate about. So my question to you is... Uh, you know, you said your work is about peace, being a peacemaker. How did that journey began for you? Did you always know early on that this is the path that you're meant to do? Or how did that come about for you? I mean, one very sharp memory, and I'm sure it was even before then. I was in a relationship, oh my gosh, 35 years ago, and we were having conflict. 
So, uh, and we were teaching workshops together, and I, I realized that, uh, boy, I wasn't creating so much peace myself. And by understanding, we went to an Enneagram workshop, which is this personality typing system I teach. And she made sense to me. I mean, so I, I particularly learned that when you understand something intellectually and emotionally, it can create more harmony and peace because it makes sense to you. Because a lot of times we, we get into conflict because we misinterpret where someone's coming from. We don't know what their actual motivation is. So that was a, once we, we took an Enneagram workshop, weekend workshop together, within one weekend she made a whole lot more sense to me. Didn't solve everything, but it definitely created more harmony because when I understand something, I can be more relational. Now that's such a great point because, you know, it reminds me of uh, the quotation by Stephen Covey. It's like it's the ability to disagree respectfully. And that's such a remarkable trait to have. And uh, it sounds like you had some major distinctions and insights uh, in that workshop. And just for the benefit of the audience, uh, Herb Pierce is one of the most knowledgeable and skilled teachers of the Enneagram today. He has taught well over 2,000 workshops, trainings, and presentations to the public and to hundreds of organizations. And I want to get into that uh, here uh, in a bit. But before... I I kind of venture into that. I want to ask you, uh, what did your parents do and how did that shape your life? In other words, where did you grow up and how would you describe your childhood? Well, interesting. I, I, was, I was an Army brat. <clears throat> My father was a career Army. My mother uh, raised kids. Uh, um, you know, I grew up fairly poor. Actually, my father was enlisted. We didn't have a lot of money. Uh, my father finished the eighth grade. <clears throat> my mother finished high school, but in a, in a trade. My parents weren't terribly intellectual, I think, in many ways, because I am so intellectual and I love to learn all the time. I think by not having enough intellectual stimulation as a kid, it caused me to want to really have a big time later. Um, you know, my parents, you know, were particularly my mother was really nice. My father had some problems. Uh, and when he got out of the service, he couldn't adjust to civilian life. So I kind of made a goal in my life of, you know, being more successful than my father and doing things that I really like doing. I've always enjoyed, you know, nature and learning about people. And I think due to some of the conflicts in my family, I think it was a natural thing in my family to be a peacemaker. And I, I, I've always loved to if I can, create harmony around, around people, including myself, who are having discussions or fights or things where, you know, things aren't going well. No, that is, uh, that's such a beautiful point. Uh, so the, one of the questions that comes up for me is, you know, we've, we've all had these uh, strategic inflection points in our lives, you know, when uh, life was never the same again moment and, was there, when you look back at your life, uh, what would you say was your breakthrough success moment for you? Like, was there anything in particular that made you reflect and say, okay, you know, I could do this as a living. This is, this is like the turning point of my life. Because a lot of people have good intentions, but very few actually make that a profession. And so what made you uh, take that on and say, gave you the confidence to go with that? Was there any moment you can think of? Yeah, or? yeah, there actually was. I, I, I had been married. My marriage was ending. I had just moved to Boston and kind of got stranded here. Uh, uh, I had I ended up working for, at Pine Street Inn as a shelter for homeless men, and I helped as a counselor there. And I, I felt really loved there after my marriage. And then actually the guys I felt this great connection with. I enjoyed working there a lot, but I decided, you know, I want to work for myself because I'd been attending all these workshops at particularly at Interface, which was a, a growth center in the Boston area for many, many years. It, it, it uh, stopped working a number of years ago. I enjoyed so much going to these work, self-growth, personal growth type workshops, and I thought, you know what? I could do this. I love teaching. I like being in front of people. I like to learn. I was growing myself, and I thought, you know, I can make, I can make a living doing this. So I started teaching workshops. 
In the beginning, it was about communication and sexuality, relationships. Then people ask if if I if I did individual work, and I said, "Oh yeah, sure." <clears throat> so I became a therapist kind of naturally. I got my training later, but I just feel like I was doing what is natural for me. I love to teach. I love to be in front of people. I like I like in, uh, intellectual acuity. I love pre- precision of knowledge and precision of understanding people and how to communicate. So it was a natural incl- natural inclination for me, having attended being a workshop junkie for about twenty years. No, that is uh, that's such a good point. And one of the questions, uh, Herb, uh, we often get from our audience is, you know, they they pursue a career that they feel was the right choice at that time, but at somewhere along the line, they figured out that you know this is not really what I'm passionate about anymore, or you know. I can do it, but it doesn't give me the juice of life, if you will. And so what would you suggest or what would you say to someone like that who might be looking to make a change in their careers or try to find a calling or try to find a passion? It sounds like you had an acute awareness about the things you like to do, things you enjoy doing. And it seems like you just followed the bliss, as Joseph Campbell would say, uh, so what what would be your suggestion for people listening to this and looking to find their calling? Several suggestions. One is to is to pay attention to what you're already enjoying. If you're good at something, you enjoy something. If you enjoy something, you're going to be good at it, most likely, or you'll get better and better because you like it. You know, there was a book that totally changed my life, How to Make a Living Doing What You Love by Jerry Gillies, G-I-L-L-I-E-S. That, I read that, oh, like 40 years, 35, 40 years ago. And it literally changed my life because I followed what it said. And I even taught a workshop for years called How to Make a Living Doing What You Love. Or maybe the book was called Doing What You Love. Anyway, there's been several books like that written about doing work that you love. So I'm a strong advocate for everyone, for everyone to do work that they love. The world would be so much a happier place if everyone did work that they enjoyed. And then as the years have gone on for me, I listened to new things. I taught workshops on communication and being single and how to meet people and all kind of stuff. And then when I discovered the Enneagram 30 years ago, I started teaching that. And I and I teach many other things too, the Myers-Briggs, astrology. I'm into many, many different things. I love to learn. And the best way of learning is to teach. <laughs> No, that is uh, that's such a good point. That anything that you really want to master is uh, is to kind of teach it to others, and that's when you kind of start gaining some mastery. So let me ask you this, and this brings up a whole other question: As you continue with your career, were there any uh, challenges that you faced in life? Because uh, we've had many guests on the show, and and they've been incredibly successful at what they have done and what they do continue to do, but they've always had these. Uh, moments in their lives when you know externally if you would have looked at it you would have said it was a massive failure but for them it was just a way to uh, it was a stepping stone to even greater success so was there were there any one or two challenges in your life that uh, that you ran into and most importantly what would you say uh, what were some of the lessons you learned from it that helped you navigate the future even better I would say, you know, I, I, let me answer that in a general sense. My biggest challenge, it still is a challenge, is around making money. I mean, I've I've done okay. I've managed for 40 years now working for myself. There's been a lot of ups and downs. I think the main thing is not to get discouraged and to realize, you know, business will happen and there's, you know, ups and cycles and ups and downs and that sort of thing. I feel like I have a lot more fame than fortune, <laughs> but I enjoy what I do, and honestly, I like a lot of free time at this point in my life. Anyway, I'm almost seventy to do, you know, to do a lot, of, a lot of my hobbies and interests too. So uh, I would say having faith and staying positive, because when I get discouraged if, if money's not coming in as much, is to actually just be more positive, have faith, you know, promote myself from this natural sense of doing what I love and what I'm good at. That's a constant lesson for me is to trust. And it always has worked. Somehow it works that I've been able to manage all these years. 
No, I like that response because it's really uh, having the faith in uh, the belief that there is, you're coming from an abundance mentality and not scarcity. And then uh, doing what you continue, doing what you love to do and continue doing it. And then understanding that with any business, there are going to be ups and downs and cycles of economic fortunes. So, uh, you know, just having that faith is important. I totally like that. So, uh, let me let me ask you this. Who were your mentors growing up? You mentioned that you attended a lot of self-help workshops. Were there anybody in particular that you looked up to growing up that you really wanted to emulate that spoke to you? Or want to give uh, a shout that's out a good to question. You? I, um, you know, I I can think of people more. You know, when I was a young, you know, like later on, like when I was early on, I, I can't think of anyone in particular. Um, I remember when I was in, I was in the Navy for four years from when I was 21 to 25, and I was in a play. I was had a leading role in a play in Morocco when I was in the Navy, and there was there were just several people that that the director, but there was a woman. Uh, who, I forgot she was I forgot her role, but she was just so encouraging, so positive and encouraging <clears throat> for me to do the role. And if I had any questions, she was just so supportive. I don't know why she stands out for me. Um, there's just been so many people that have been just like positive. Matter of fact, I just went to this memorial kind of service tonight before I came here for someone mm. who unfortunately tragically died in something. And she was a role model. She was so positive and this worked for so many social agencies, volunteer. I've met so many people like that. It just give out of caring and love. John O'Leary is a you know my friend John O'Leary reminds me of, but I just yeah he's amazing uh, yeah that's absolutely true he was on the show earlier and uh, yeah he's got an incredible story from a rock star musician to management consultant yeah. and uh, yeah, yeah. really a lot of amazing stories that he shares. Uh, so switching gears here, what are your favorite hobbies and interests? Uh, is there anything in particular that you enjoy doing on your day off and your time off? Yeah, well, I, you know, I have so many, it's going to take, I'm a singer, I'm a soloist in my church, and I sing duets with a friend. Uh, once a month, I just sang this uh, uh, Sunday when Irish eyes are smiling, and, and uh, you know, St. Patrick's Day, uh-huh. and the theme song to Neverland, Peter Pan, a lot of musical songs. I'm, I'm a writer. I've written six books. We maybe talk about that later. I'm also an artist. I've uh, I've sold 23 paintings. I've been particularly doing a lot of art the last uh, 23. Uh, I mean, the last four or five years. Uh, and I I uh, attend. I go on and lead bird walks, plant walks, plant identification walks. I'm out in nature a lot. Oh, nice. The, water, the w- weather's getting warm, so I'm really excited. I, I can. I just saw my first crocus last Friday. I'm in the Boston area. And then I, I take herbal classes. I've been studying herbs for many years. I do stand-up comedy occasionally. Oh, nice. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm, I'm interested in everything. And I, I teach classes on American history. I'm kind of an American history buff. You know, I wrote a book on the presidents. And it's I've had offshoots about talking about the presidents and periods in American history. I go to Sturbridge Village, which is a historical uh, living community uh, about an hour from Boston. I've been there maybe 150 times. I'm kind of an expert in a lot of areas of history. And I'm always traveling to go to historical sites. That's just a few of the things I do. No, that's that's amazing. And uh, as you can imagine, that brings up a lot of questions. So let me start off with comedy. What kind of comedy have you done, a stand-up comedy that you've done? (laughs) Well, I do this character. I haven't done it in a while. Is this kind of a humdrum? Is it kind of a type 9 peacemaker, kind of um, deadpan comedy? Mm. I say funny things like, I don't know, I do a whole routine on modern bathrooms and how to navigate modern bathrooms with (laughs) a lot of times I'll do this under the faucet and nothing happens I watch the other guy do it next to me and it's happening so like I'm trying to figure out how to you know do you curve your hand this way or that way or (laughs) I make I do a lot of comedy of just basic everything everyday kind of things we struggle with how to deal with stuff I lose things all the time so I make fun of myself 
<clears throat> no, like that's that's great. Like, that's yeah. really great. Uh, any favorite comedians that uh, you follow or you watch? You like to watch? Or? Oh, I, I, you know, I who's the, uh, uh, oh God, the, the eleven thirty-five every. What's his name? Uh, uh, late night. Ah, my brain's gone dead. Oh, there was David Letterman and Jay Leno. Oh, so there was David Letterman, the guy that followed him. Uh, oh yeah. Uh, I, I mean, the name escapes me too. I know exactly what you're talking about. I mean, I I watch yeah. Johnny Carson every night for decades, as well yeah, as. Yeah. Uh, and then George I Carlin was that. another. Fantastic, yeah, 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 as well. And Jerry Seinfeld, obviously, and uh, yeah, yeah, no, that's that's so great. Uh, talking about uh, the next uh, thing that I got curious about is you mentioned astrology, so tell us about astrology. What is astrology, and how did you get <laughs> into it, and what fascinated you about astrology? Well, I, I've always been interested in, in personality systems, so I look at astrology more as a personality system. Mm. You know, also for prediction, but more for a personality system. I find it accurate. I find the Enneagram, Myers-Briggs, and astrology in that order uh, just very helpful to understand. And also people have different languages of looking at difference in personality. I like to be able to kind of speak the language of someone who's studying a particular system. I've had lots of astrology readings that have been very helpful and useful. So, um, you know, I definitely use that. The Enneagram is, my, you know, by far my favorite because I think it's the most objectively accurate. And, and we'll get into that. I'm really curious yeah. about it. So as, as far as astrology, before we move on from astrology, as, was there anything specific about astrology? Like, do you do Vedic astrology or do you do uh, uh, general scientific Chinese? Yeah, universe, general Western astrology. Western astrology, okay. You know, birth signs, moon, moon rising. Aspects. Very nice. So very it's been nice. helpful for me to understand myself by understanding my birth chart. Mm. And it's like every, any t- if I'm ever in a relationship, I always do a birth chart on anyone I'm related to. <laughs> no, that's right. So you can do a, a couple's chart too. And, what is it, and have you found it to be accurate to kind of like help navigate? Extremely. Mm. Oh my God! Unbelievably accurate. Well, like, that's that's interesting. So what are some of the reliable ways to kind of get some astrological charts and birth charts done and and get the readings right? Because sometimes you could end up having a, you know, you get the reading wrong and you could end up having a self-fulfilling prophecy. (laughs) Well, a a friend of mine, I have several astrology friends who I, so if I ever have a question, I call them or if I want a reading, Mm. I use them. I wouldn't, I'm no expert on, you know, don't get a reading with me. But even online, you can get these free printouts sometimes that are still pretty much in the ballpark. Okay. Yeah, most astrologers, I think, are fairly good. Anyone who's passionate, you know, and most of the people I know are, well, this one person, uh, she's very relationship-oriented, so she does particularly relationship Mm. readings. Yeah. Oh, excellent. So, uh the other, the other question now, you mentioned that you've... Uh, oh, by the way, her name is Nikki Davis. I was trying to remember. N-I-K-K-I-D-A-V-I-S. And, uh, Excellent. And then we'll, we'll include that in the show notes as well. And do, and, yeah. Right. Uh, now, you mentioned you've also been a big fan of American history, and you, uh, yeah. you also lecture on that topic. So, uh, And have you visited a lot of historical sites, I take it, you mentioned oh, earlier? Tons. Oh, nice. I go to... I've been to every site in New England, like Plymouth Plantation and Strawberry Bank and Deerfield, like many, many, many times over. And as I mentioned, Sturbridge Village is my favorite place, about an hour west, and I've been there at least 150, 200 times. What fascinates you about that place? <clears throat> I, I like looking at another period in time, mm. particularly like I think when things were simpler and understanding how people live then and how that that times affected us today and how some things don't change but a lot of things do do change and history is great because it you look back in the past it's kind of static i mean the interpretations are active but whatever already happened already happens like oh my god it's so much easier not to have to deal with the unknown <laughs> <laughs> No, that's uh, 
So you mentioned some, you know, when you look at history or if somebody is a student of history, and you're absolutely right, uh, as far as some things change, but some things uh, don't. What would you say are some of the things that don't change and we can learn from history, in your opinion? Well, I, I think the thing that doesn't change ever from the beginning of time is that love works. You know, it's like if you're, I get emotional thinking about it, if you're caring and kind and compassionate and understanding and you try to understand difference, people always like that. I mean, there there are people that are suffering, they're distorted, they harm others, but that never changes. That's the whole purpose of life is to learn to love. And love requires an, an understanding of difference. So that's really what I'm about is seeing difference as a means by which you can love more clearly and feel the confidence of uh, being able to relate, not only relate to someone different, but to develop the qualities yourself of someone who is different, who you, particularly someone you admire. Uh, you know, one person who affected me, I actually heard him speak, the person who wrote uh, The People's History of the United States, why well, I'm forgetting his name now. I went on a number of marches with him, peace marches. Amazing guy, so committed, so clear. He was a type nine peacemaker too. <laughs> mm, oh, nice, very nice. Yeah. So let's uh, let's switch gears here and uh, let's get into uh, your favorite and expertise in, in the Enneagram. So before we uh, jump into that, the first <coughs> question that comes up for me is, where did the Enneagram symbol come from, and what does it mean? What was the origin of this whole uh, Enneagram personality? Well, Genesis. From what I've read, the actual symbol itself, hang on, let me see if I, well, this is not, this is kind of a, I don't know if you can see. Yeah. But a little bit. That's, there's actually a circle, and the circle from what I've read comes from Pythagoras. He actually had a symbol just like that, and he explained it, but I, I haven't really examined the that Enneagram symbol as much as some people get into it, because there's a whole mathematical process around it. Mm-hmm. Now, as far as the modern Enneagram, a guy named Oscar Chazo, I think he's still alive. He he was teaching it in the 60s in New York. And uh, he said he got it from Sufis in Afghanistan. But there people debate whether it's Egyptian or Kabbalah from Jewish Kabbalah. or Many spiritual systems have had a system of spiritual progress. Mm where you go from this stage to this stage. So the Enneagram speaks to that to some degree. But I think the Enneagram's always been around because it's just a question of observing how people are. And no matter what culture you're in, you're in these various personality differences exist. So I think it's fairly universal. Mm. Do you think... Uh this uh, Enneagram is a good tool to kind of like, you know, if you go back to Joseph Campbell's uh, hero's journey, you know, like yeah. the person goes through different phases in his uh, way of uh, becoming the best version of himself. Do yeah. you think that the different types that we see in Enneagram corresponds to different phases of life? Or Yeah. Yeah, I would say so. I mean, I, I do think there's one dominant type of person has their whole life. Mm-hmm. Okay, you, but you have qualities of all nine, and I think to master life, in a, so to speak, you have to be you have to strive to be good at all nine of these typologies. Mm. You know, so it's helpful, particularly the higher levels of each each type. You're going to be best at your type particularly if you're mature and you go to higher levels rather than lower levels at the time. But I do think the Enneagram is a map to develop yourself. I like that analogy. So let's get into the nine types. So if you can kind of like give us a quick uh, rundown of those nine types and, you know, what what are maybe one or two good characteristics of each of the type. Uh, yeah, let me do a brief. I'll, let me, here, I'll wear a hat for each time. See if I can. So type one is the perfectionist. This is a Puritan hat. Mm-hmm. So if I'm a one. I want to do things right. It needs to be exacting. Uh, there's a right and wrong. I tend to be moral. I tend to be a little tendency to rigidity. It's hard for me to be flexible. 
So my learning in life is to be more accepting, more flexible. Realize that you're going to make mistakes in life if you if you're living. You don't have to be perfect. Okay. The two is the. Let me see if I can find these really quickly. The two is that. Well, here's a, a cheerleader. The two, type two is the helper. I want to help people and be positive and all that, but I tend to want to please and help you, and I'm dependent on your feedback to tell me I'm great. Mm. And I need to learn. The learning here is I need to give to myself and realize that I'm needy as well as other people and I don't have to help you to be loved. I can just be loved. That's the, the, the journey here is to realize you can be loved and you don't have to be any particular way yeah. necessarily. The three is the achiever. Let me see if I can find my... The, the achiever is... Uh, it's kind of like the, here's a... You know, the, the United States is a high-achieving culture. Hmm. It's all about, and I think that might be your type. Is that possible? Yeah, that's correct. I'm a three and a wing two, and I want to get into the wing as well, but go oh. ahead. Okay, but so the three is all about achievement and goals and accomplishing things. Let's have clear, definable goals that we can actually do action steps to accomplish, and then I know I'm okay. So it's kind of like I feel good or I feel loved when I can accomplish. Hmm. Before the romantic, oh, let me see, I had a, oh, here we go. Four is the romantic, very emotional, the art, many type can be an artist, so you can't say it just because someone's an artist. There are four, but fours are emotional, deep, aesthetically oriented, and intense, they're always searching and seeking <coughs> to have meaning in life, mm. but you can also go overboard and search and seek too much. So you're always longing for something instead of just enjoying what's here. Right. With the daily life the way it is. So that's the journey for the forest and stop seeking so much and just experience what's here that is beautiful. The five is the knowledge seeker. This is someone like who's an engineer type, though you can have engineers of all the types, but the knowledge seeker says, I'm okay if I can know everything, if I can learn, if I can step back and be objective. It makes sense of reality. So they're often uh, very bright, but often private. They only talk to you if they think you're smart enough to understand what they're talking about. Mm. <clears throat> so I think of Jefferson. Jefferson is a really smart type five. Um, type six is a questioner. This is someone who, uh, you know, is aware of danger in life. So they're ready to check out putting out fires and being or trying to prevent them from happening in the first place. So this is the type that tends to see danger, the security seeker, and they want to be secure and they like things predictable. The problem is they're looking at problems and dangers too much, so they're always kind of on the alert for, for, you know, for what's wrong and what, you know, so they need to appreciate what is positive already. Be prepared. They're amazingly giving around helping others prepare for danger. So they're wonderful that way. All the types are equally wonderful and equally sometimes not. Seven, the optimist is, um, <clears throat> we just had St. Patrick's Day. Ireland's a little four and seven. But I think of Kennedy, who is a seven, very positive, upbeat. He, he had major operations in his life, including FDR, who was a seven. But they stayed. They kept a positive outlook, and that's why they were valued often for their positivity. Mm. The eight, the boss, the uh, the type. Uh, here we go. The king. <laughs> these are these are folks that, that like to be in charge. Our current president is an eight, though. But we've had various levels of maturity within each type. You know, so you can't just. Go by one person. You need to know tons and tons of examples. And uh, uh, people, examples of each type who are really, really developed and amazing. But these are leader types. They inspire us. They teach us about empowerment. They focus on action. And the nine, the peacemaker, in a sense, kind of wears all the nine hats. Um, They kind of adapt to create a, a sense of harmony and peace. With everyone, so they kind of become like you. I don't know if you can see this peace symbol here. Mm, it's okay. made out of hemp, natural material. Nines are kind of natural into nature, getting along with people. They tend to avoid their own self-interest and goals. So they need to learn to be a little more selfish, actually. 
he ate, the boss needs to learn to be a little more uh, flexible and uh, and show their vulnerability more. So every type is learning to be the opposite. The, the, the optimist seven, for instance, is positive, but sometimes they're too positive. They need to acknowledge pain, suffering, and loss as part of life too. So all the types are right on the right on with everything. It's just they they overdo a normal thing. Mm. They need to learn the opposite of the way they are. I see. Three, as you probably know, learns needs to learn to fail, <clears throat> still be okay, still be loved, and as you know, failure sometimes can lead to success. It certainly does. Uh, so, so there's also a component called wings. What are wings in the Enneagram uh, personality type? So the wing is an adjacent number to your type, numerically adjacent. Like I'm a nine peacemaker, but my wing is eight. So as a nine, I, I lean a little in the direction of being more direct than a nine with a one wing, a little more outspoken, mm. take charge at times. Still, it's hard for me as a nine, but I, I can do that more. The nine with a one wing is more driven for perfection doing things right. They're a little more introverted and, and nine eight typically is a little more extroverted. I see. Matter of fact, every wing, one side is more introverted and one is ex- more extroverted. So a three with the two wing is more extroverted, which I, you seem to be for sure. And the three with the four wing is more introverted. Mm-hmm. They still might be an extrovert, but it's more introverted in comparison to the three with the two wing. I see. I see. No, that's, uh, that's really interesting. So, the other question that comes up for me is, uh, don't you think or don't you sometimes wonder if different labels just put us in a box and kind of like, you know, it just holds us in one kind of a personality domain and can we not just be uh, different personalities if we wanted to? Yeah, I totally agree with that. And I feel very protective of not, having people ever feel like they're in a box. And I, I don't think I, I haven't gotten that feedback in decades because I do think we're, we're certainly more than one type. The only reason that a person has a dominant type is that, that it's objectively accurate. And people will say that. I, I don't get feedback much. People say, oh, I'm not this or that. People often, before that they learn the Enneagram, feel, oh, I don't want to learn that. I don't want to be put in a box. But they're coming to it with that prejudice. Mm. The Enneagram does not put people in a box. It just accurately describes the way you tend to be as the way you think and tend to operate more than the others. And the way I teach it, I teach it as a way to develop all nine types, how to relate to each type, how to know that your type's no better or worse than any other type. So it's, it's it's just a map to play with to the degree that it's useful and accurate. So, so would that also mean that certain types are more compatible with certain other types? Or Yeah. Well, my specialty as a therapist is working with couples and families. Mm. So there are some compatibilities that are more of a challenge. I think any two types can work. And then there's six different subtypes in each type. There's wings, maturity level. It's very, very complicated. When I analyze someone, it's very, very complex. I have years and years and years of experience. But uh, any... There are some combinations that are easier. I do think, in general, mm-hmm. it's good to have some difference. But it's if you, the differences are so much, it's you know it usually takes many years to balance out. But you know, uh, with with understanding the difference, having compassion for the struggles of the type, knowing how to communicate to this style, developing yourself, you can have a relationship with great relationship with anybody. No, that's such a good point. And uh, as you said earlier in our conversation that, you know, understanding the differences, that conflict is necessarily not bad. It's in fact just no. helps you love the other person more clearly. Yeah. And yeah. that's such an important distinction. And so just sort of curiosity, uh, what, what's a good compatible type for three uh, wing two normally, would you say? You know, one of the best one would be a three, I mean, a two with a three wing. Oh, One, if, if, you, if you're with someone where you cross over wings, like a two with a three wing, three with a two wing, four with a three wing, three with a four wing, like that, mm. that's often because there's enough difference. It's still different enough, but it's you're familiar enough that it's still going to you're going to feel at home. So that's just one 
one one idea. Uh, 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 Two nines often do well together. Two fives do well together, the knowledge seeker. Two eights usually don't do well together. They're too strong and bold. <laughs> you know, they, they might have a tendency to fight. Uh, a two five, like a helper with a knowledge seeker, typically is challenging. It's very common. But the five is kind of private and intellectual, and the two is like, kind of pursuing and engaging and giving, so it's sometimes a little too much. So there are some predictabilities that when you express them, they'll go, when you tell people about them, they'll go, yeah, this has been our struggle for the whole time. And if you can just see that this person offers this at this point and tends not to offer that, you can coach people. I've seen miracles in relationships overnight occasionally change radically because they understand the other person. And with the Enneagram is such a good tool to help it be a more objective. Mm. So it's not personal. Any, if you had two five couples, I did that once with four couples in the room. They were all two fives. They all have the same issues, the same kind of relational issues. Yeah. Well, don't you, don't you find that, uh, in order for somebody to have a breakthrough, uh, you know, with their personality types or with any of the therapy that you mentioned, that there needs to be a willingness first and foremost for two oh. people to sit down and be willing to explore uh, ways <laughs> to kind of come to a commonality that they can say, okay, this is where we would like to, if two people are not in conflict and they don't even want to uh, explore a way to get back, I mean, wouldn't that be a challenge? Yeah, it is. And, you know, couples where that willingness isn't there, it's generally not going to work. I mean, I can give you the knowledge and the clarity, but I can't. I can't force someone to grow. So I mean, unfortunately, sometimes you see a couple where one person one is open, willing, open, somewhat more so than the other person. The other person just is not. They're just not. And it, I can't. I can't do a lot. I might be able to work with the one person who's open to growth, but relationships require growth. I mean. Being an individual requires growth if you want to be happy. Absolutely. You know, a certain amount of struggle is pretty normal and necessary. To be happy, you have to grow to some degree. Uh, absolutely. There's got to be a willingness and a willingness to grow and learn and develop. And, uh, yeah. And that's absolutely right on. So uh, just for the benefit of the audience here, uh, her peers has also worked with hundreds of individuals and couples to understand and communicate well to all types of people. He also leads team building trainings in companies as a public speaker, workshop presenter, and a personal life coach and author of six books. So tell us about your first book. How did that come about? When did you write it? It was about the Enneagram Basics, is that correct? Yeah, the Enneagram Basics. I actually have the books here. I just did have them. Where did they go? Here they are. Uh, Enneagram Basics was actually the the first book was The Idiot's Guide to the Enneagram. This is an update of The Idiot's Guide to the Enneagram that I wrote about 12 years ago. And then I wrote – the basic book actually is pretty advanced. It goes into subtypes and stuff. This book, Enneagram Beyond the Basics, goes into uh, goes into it a lot more depth around subtypes and relationship combinations and how to type people, misidentifications. Um, there is a book. Uh, well, the, this is <laughs> Lessons from the River is a book not about the Enneagram. It's about my canoe, whitewater canoe trips in in Maine. Oh, wow. Has hundreds of pictures. Yeah, so that's another one of my hobbies. I got to be, reach a point where I was pretty expert. Hang on, my other books. But my uh, other book on the Enneagram is uh, The Caregiver's Enneagram, which is a book, it's kind of like the Enneagram Basics, but just for caregivers, particularly people taking care of their parents or a spouse, mm. that sort of thing. So all the examples are, are from that. And then... This is a, my current book I finished a year ago, Presidential Profiles, Washington to Trump, Enneagram and Myers-Briggs Perspective. So I typed all the presidents in Enneagram and Myers-Briggs. It took three years to do the research, think about the types, write, edit. I give a case for each president on why they're that type. 
no one's ever written a book like this. That's interesting. That's amazing. Well worth reading. And I give a lot of talks on the president, so. <clears throat> so tell us, tell us more about that book. That really seems to be a fascinating topic. So how did you go about doing the research? And can you give us some case examples of uh, some of the presidents? And how did you come to the conclusion that they were a certain type? Well, and- I'll use an example of our first president. Actually, it was a pretty emotional experience for me. George Washington, you know, is we kind of think of him as an honest person and very forthright, and he was not that. He was a three, you know, but but not when he was younger. He wasn't a mature three. Mm. He did a lot of deception. He lied. He made a lot of military blunders where hundreds of people were killed. He covered up his mistakes. He blamed people for his mistakes. Uh, he praised you if you did what he wanted. He was not that mature of a person or, or a good leader in the beginning. He became so as time went on, but he had a big anger management problem. So he wanted to be seen as this honest person, but he wasn't particularly that honest. A lot of people didn't like him. So doing the research helped me understand each president more and their maturity, their type, and that sort of thing. Abraham Lincoln, for instance, is a, a type four the only Enneagram uh, four in the, as president, he's a very emotional guy, very depressed. Uh, there were a number of suicide watches on him. He wrote a lot of very, very depressive poetry. But he was a very courageous man and was uh, hung in there with, with action. He had a, a four with uh, more of a, of a three-wing, um, a high achiever, but very a very deep emotional kind of person, which he kind of held in check. So a lot of times the presidents couldn't always be their full, mm-hmm. be their full self. Uh, the the dominant type president is actually type one. They're the perfectionist. That's the. Let me see. Where's my anyway? My <coughs> we've had John Adams was a, a very honest, almost too honest. He was very outspoken. I mean, when he said something, you could trust it. He didn't go back on his word so much. We've had a lot of uh, presidents that were, were type ones, including John Quincy Adams' son, mm. the second and the sixth president. So it's fascinating to keep learning about the presidents, give talks on them, and understand our history from who we've elected. Yeah, absolutely. That's really fascinating. And... Uh Kudos to you for uh, doing the research and uh, with all the effort that must have gone into it and oh, yeah. for presenting us with this beautiful book. And we'll include that in the show notes so people can yeah, uh, yeah, find yeah. out more about it and learn more about yeah. it. Now, that's that's a great. So uh, one other question that comes up for me is, uh, yeah. you know, you also mentioned Meyer Briggs uh, personality type. And, uh, <laughs> you know, that's usually the one that... Uh, lot of organizations and corporations that I've been part of in my uh, past experience uh, have utilized to understand uh, employees and their strengths and their leadership and management abilities and all that. So what would you say is the difference or how does M- uh, Meyer Briggs differ from Enneagram in your view? Yeah, I mean, it's a great system. I love it. I use it a lot in my particularly couples counseling because it explains a lot of things that the Enneagram doesn't touch on, like whether you're an introvert or an extrovert. I'm an extroverted nine, very different than the average nine who's more introverted. So it explains many, many things. I'm an ENFP and the Myers-Briggs Um you know, that I'm a very different. You can have an, a, a nine peacemaker who's an ISTJ. Mm. So you can, just the opposite. You can, so it explains a lot of differences that you go, no, you can't, there's no way this guy could be a nine and that guy could be a nine. There's still the core focuses on peace and harmony, but the approach to it is totally different. Whereas the ISTJ is more traditional and rigid. The ENFP is more fun and light. That's, you know, my type. ENFPs always have lots of interest. <laughs> yeah. So, so in your, all your uh, coaching sessions and uh, training sessions and uh, leading all these workshops, what what have you found are some of the common misperceptions or misconceptions that people have about personality types and these kind of, uh, uh, you know, studies that uh, tell you 
what kind of a person you are. So what do you think are the common misconceptions you've run into? I'll tell you, the biggest misperception, I, I know this to be true, people tend to think that the way you think is how other people think. Mm. And it's not true. It's extremely not true. People are amazingly different. We have some things in common, but how we go about and how we approach life is like it's like nine planets with nine gravitational fields that are looking at the world in a totally different way. And like what I like to do is educate people deeply on understanding, particularly any important relationships they have, their children, their spouse, or someone they're working with. How they're seeing reality and how valid their that their reality is just as valid, and uh, we tend to often reject people or be upset with people who are looking at the world differently, and it's it's tragic that conflicts occur that don't need to occur. We can learn from each other. I mean, maturity plays a big role. So I mean, if you're with someone who's extremely immature, no matter what type, you're not going to want to hang with them. And if you're with someone who's mature, you're going to go, wow. Well, that's that's such a great point because conflict may not necessarily have to be uh, the the breakdown of a new relationship. In fact, as you said, it helps you love somebody else uh, clearly. And again, the point is, if two people think exactly the same way, why do you need the other person, right? <laughs> it's right, like, right. It's right, like yeah, what, that's I, that's what makes life interesting when you have conflicting point of views and you can learn yeah, you and grow. You can just add. And, you know, I just think of addition rather than subtraction. No, it's addition. You know, how can we use this is great. Okay, how can we also add this to it also? That's why the Enneagram is not about putting you in a box. It's about adding features and extensions so that you're not limited by your type. The whole idea is to free yourself from your type and to add, you know, to love your type but to be, expand beyond your type. A good Enneagram teacher always does that. Mm. No, that's, that's such a beautiful point. So here's another question that comes up for me, just out of curiosity. One of the things that I've also noticed is uh, environment and plays a big factor that shapes our thinking. You know, there was this quotation by Jim Rohn, one of the motivational speakers, and, you know, you kind of like, uh, you're the average of the five people you hang out with. Kind of, uh, you know, that was his quotation. And there have been studies done on it to find out, you know, your average income is the average of, by people that you normally hang out with. And even with cultures and beliefs and things like that, uh, people who are from a certain culture, if you will, or have the same belief system, you know, they tend to think alike. And then, uh, and hypothetically, if they move away from their culture or they move away from their uh, place of birth and things like that, you know, it, it expands their thinking. They start thinking differently. They make choices differently. So what would you say, uh, environment plays uh, a factor in terms of the personality types and what takes more gravitas if you had to compare well <coughs> between the I, two i believe that your enneagram type for instance and whether it's astrology or myers-briggs i think on average it's more pre-birth you know whether you believe in genetics or maybe a spiritual perspective before birth i've talked to hundreds and hundreds of parents i've work with them. I've taught classes for parents on parenting different type children. And invariably parents say, my kid was born this way. I'd say 90%, 85, 90% of the time. I don't think your your environment causes your type. I think it influences your type. It can influence it severely, whether supporting it or going against it. So if you're in a situa- family situation or a growing situation where you, your type is supported, you will blossom if not, you'll try to be something else. You'll try to hide your type. You'll develop addictions and compulsions to kind of move around it. Mm. But I, I just think the environment heavily influences. It can destroy or support someone. But again, I don't think it, I don't think it causes it, even though, even though it's not unusual for your type to be one of your parents' types a little more than average odds. But I still think it's, more genetically oriented and most Enneagram teachers I've talked to feel the same way. Oh, that's uh, that's good to know and very interesting. Uh, so here's another hypothetical situation or uh, let's say having, you know, you've, you've kind of been through the ebb and flow of life. You've studied different personality types. You've coached uh, hundreds and thousands of people out there. Uh, and 
So the question for you is, let's say, if you could go back in time and talk to your young self, uh, what advice would you uh, give him? <laughs> I, you know, I, I would say take more risks, be outspoken, don't be so peaceful. You know, I mean, be peaceful, but not as a way of avoidance. Don't be so nice, but be nice, of course. It's easy for me to be. But just to keep being more self-centered, which my type needs to be more. Mm. And it's still a struggle after all these years. I mean, I'm still, I'm probably more assertive than most nines, but it's a constant process for me to be assertive or promote myself or, you know. I see. And uh, what would you say at this point in your life would be uh, your definition of a happy life or a successful life or a life well lived? Well, ab- absolutely doing what you love. I mean, spending your time in life on average doing things that you find enjoyment, pleasure, but not pleasure at the sacrifice of other things in a balance that you're exploring, you're learning you're you're growing you're excited you you can kind of witness your ups and downs and not be so reactive you know to have more of a meditative kind of uh, sense of things and uh have compassion for others uh you know do what you can to change the world to be a nicer more peaceful loving place oh it's beautiful and that brings up to uh, a perfect segue into the uh, next section, which is a rapid fire round. It's a lightning round, Herb. And I'm going to ask you a bunch of uh, questions, and it's the first response that comes to your mind. So my okay. uh, first question to you is, are you ready? Am I ready? <laughs> <laughs> I, I hope so, yeah. I mean, All right. I like to be in the moment, and I realize that, you know, anytime you think you know something, you don't know. I mean, <laughs> Things change all the time, so you have to be ready for whatever. Excellent. So the first question I have for you is, uh, what is one thing that you can do that might surprise other people? Oh, well, I mean, I I think a lot of people don't know I'm kind of an expert whitewater canoeist. Oh, wow. Because it's risky. I mean, I I tend to be a kind of a nice guy and mild-mannered, but I I have a certain love of thrill of danger. Okay. Uh, you mentioned you're also a singer, so let me ask you this. Who's your favorite music band? Oh, my God. Um, you know, maybe a music band, but like Frank Sinatra, I like the songs of the 30s, 40s, and 50s, and 60s from the 1900s. Okay. I mean, I like songs about love and niceness. I, a lot of the songs today are electronic. I don't They're just not my thing. Mm. So yeah. uh, the other question is, what color describes you best? Green. Absolutely. Green, mm. green, green. I love green. I, I lived in a place once. I painted every room a different shade of green. Oh, wow. I met someone at a party years later, and they they uh, told me where they lived, and I it was the same address. I said, do you like all the shades of green in the room? And she said, oh, yeah, I love it. I said I did. I'd paint it all. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Oh, it I is funny. What a coincidence, too. Uh, it's just, yeah. That's amazing. Uh, the next one is, do you believe in magic? Absolutely. I mean, yeah, things. I mean, for instance, I don't know. I mean, maybe I should share this or not, but I've left my body a few times and gone into mm-hmm. the light. Mm-hmm. And it's so beautiful. It's beyond imagination. It's like it's it's beyond anything I've experienced on the planet. So far, oh, that's, so, that's amazing. Things can, things can happen. I mean, there's other realms, and God knows, I don't. You know, I try to not limit my mind to think. You know, that we're we're here alone on this planet. And there aren't other beings in the universe. I think it's ridiculous to think there aren't. Yeah, that's uh, that's definitely interesting. And then the other question is, if you could have witnessed one event in history, what would that be? Gosh, you know, it'd be interesting. Maybe the signing of some peace accord, mm. you know, or uh, uh, maybe a marriage of, you know, I, li- I like to study history and royalty. Mm. Maybe the wedding of Queen Victoria. I've been watching that on TV, you know, and, and uh, oh, God, is, what's his name? Anyway, um, or, you know, maybe being, maybe 
maybe being in a space capsule with, right before they landed on the moon or when they were on the moon. Mm. That would be pretty cool. Oh, nice. So you've studied a lot of presidents uh, and their personality types. So, so who would you say was your favorite president? I would say FDR, Franklin mm-hmm. Roosevelt. He was so positive. He he suffered. You know, he, he had polio. He was paralyzed, but he kept a positive focus. And I feel like he really thought about the country and everyone in it, poor people, everybody. So he wasn't. He wasn't for just for the rich, but, you know, and that's so important. It's important to include everybody. And it, the world works when everyone's included in it. Mm. All the harm and the craziness happens because of the because we exclude people because of God knows race, color, sex. It's ridiculous. Totally insane. I was mm. actually the first race relations instructor in the Navy mm. in 1972. Oh, wow. I've always been focused on inclusion of everything there's there should be no exclusion because of anything it's ridiculous yeah we are all uh, human beings after all and as they say uh you know uh, we are spiritual beings having a human experience uh and not the other way around so uh yeah no, that's that's such a uh, good point and then one final question within the rapid fire round and that is if you could ask god one question what would that be you know, that would be something like, why Why is there so much suffering and killing? Uh, suffering I can understand to some degree, but why is there so much killing? Like, why were the American Indians, like, so wiped out when they were a much more advanced culture, spiritually, emotionally, aesthetically? I guess I still I have that really difficult question of, like, why do good people get killed and what? Like, why do people that are aggressive and unconcerned about others and prejudice, sometimes they seem to be on top? I find still find that difficult. Mm. It depends on, the you know, how you look at it from a timeline perspective, too. As you said, uh, good and uh, love and compassion always wins in the end. So in the end, in the end, it does. And spiritually, it always wins. It certainly does. So uh, maybe not. Who knows? Yeah. So uh, moving on to a final section, and that is our. Uh, I've just have three final questions for you, Herb. So the first one is: What is your business or personal passion project that you're working on, and what are you looking forward to in the next six months to a year from now? Okay. Well, one continuing to focus on my book and give talks on the presidents, that sort of thing. I'm thinking of writing a book on the first ladies. I'm looking for a little funding for that. Um, my, my passion always is to use the Enneagram and the other systems too, but particularly the Enneagram as a tool for healing, for understanding, for clarity. I love clarity. Mm. Yeah. That's beautiful. And, uh, the next question is what are three things you're grateful for in life? Well, I, I'm grateful that I have all these interests. I'm grateful that I live, despite the fact that I criticize my country a lot, I'm grateful I live in a country where I'm free to, you know, do these, all my interests and that sort of thing. Um, I have so many friends I'm grateful for. I'm, I'm totally grateful that I do work that I love. I'm so lucky. Uh, you know, I'm lucky my body's in fairly good shape, you know. Um, I mean, there's a million things to be. I'm totally grateful that spring is happening today. <laughs> yeah, first day of spring. The land of flowers. That's, I love flowers. That's that's so beautiful. Yeah. So, Herb, I would like to take a couple of moments here to acknowledge you. Uh, based on a conversation and what you've shared and having uh, read through your profile and the kind of work you've done over the years, a few things stand out for me. One is... You know, you really are indeed a peacemaker uh, from the bottom of your heart. You really want to see uh, equality and everybody out there in the world get a fair shot at uh, living a good life. Uh, mm-hmm. As you mentioned, that inclusion is something that's very important to you as you were the first uh, race relationship relations officer in, in the military. And uh, the fact that you are inspired by the positivity and good people 
like as you mentioned, FDR and that uh, lady back in the military who always encouraged you and, you know, you feed on that positivity and, uh, and you reflect that in your conversations, in your sharing, in your work. And that makes the world a better place for all of us. So thank you for doing what you're doing and yeah. being who you're being. Well, th- thanks for mentioning it. It's helpful to hear. It's, it's absolutely my pleasure. And, uh, one final question. And that is how we wrap up all our interviews. And that is, why do you think people should listen to the wisdom of friends? Well, we can't see ourselves fully. It's helpful. Good friends, in my opinion, are, are help you see things you can't see about yourself and to offer suggestions and ideas that might be a bit challenging. But uh, a good friend is someone who, challenges you in a in a respectful way and and is you know also patient and compassionate but also can push you a, a bit yeah that's that's so great so again uh, with that we'll wrap it up so again i appreciated our conversation herb and uh for everybody listening with that uh, we'll wrap it up and if you like what you heard please share don't be shy Thanks for listening to the Wisdom of Friends show with Cal Aras. If you enjoyed today's show, head over to wisdomoffriends.net to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover our fantastic bonus content. We hope you'll pass along our web address, wisdomoffriends.net, to your friends and colleagues. Be sure to check out our archive section on the website for previous episodes and subscribe on iTunes, rate, and leave a review. It's very much appreciated. Thank you. This has been a Seven Symphonies production Join us next time for another edition of The Wisdom of Friends.